Hello again. This conference has a lot of information being given, doesn't it? It's a packed schedule. Appreciate the opportunity that we have just to, to learn and grow together and to be challenged. Keep coming in, that's totally fine. I'm gonna go ahead and jump in. I think we're running just a little bit behind. We're gonna to talk today about a topic that might make you uncomfortable. Um, it's actually a topic that I don't think we talk enough about in our Christian circle, but I think it's one that we need. Calling it the response that revives, and we're going to focus on particularly a woman's response to a man's struggle with sexual sin. I'll, I'll keep referring to pornography, but I think these same uh, principles apply to infidelity, uh, to anything like that. And I hope this will be helpful to us. But before we get to that, I'd, I'd like to acknowledge something, and that is that this is not only a man's struggle. This is also more and more a, a woman's struggle. And some of us sitting here today struggle with that temptation. Barna studies show that 20 to 30% of self-identifying Christian women say they are addicted to pornography. The same study shows that only 13% of self-identifying Christian women say that they never watch porn. Only 13% say never. 20 to 30% say they're actually addicted, which typically means multiple times a week. Why is that? Why is this a growing problem? I think that we live in a sexually explicit culture. Everything is about sex. Our media is full of it. You can hardly watch a program that does not have sexual innuendos or sexual scenes in it. There is very little restraint in our focus on sex. And then I think this, a large contributor to this is our mobile internet access. And our minds have become more and more focused on our physical bodies with a sexual mindset. And can I just encourage you as women, before we get into what we're really going to talk about today, that if you struggle with this, please seek help. Please know that you are not alone. Satan, the father of all lies, is a deceiver, and he tells you that nobody else struggles with this, and so you can't possibly admit this struggle. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says what? There has no temptation taken you or me that is not common to man. You are not alone in this struggle. And please don't let it go on. It will ensnare you. It will affect future relationships. It will fill your life with guilt and self-disgust. And most importantly, it affects your walk with God. It's dishonoring to Him. 1 Corinthians 6 teaches us to glorify Him with our bodies. 
Ephesians 5, 3 tells us not to let fornication or uncleanness be named among us. 2 Timothy 2, 22, Paul tells Timothy, flee youthful lust, run away from it. You know, in its simplest terms, a struggle with sexual sin is a love problem. Several years ago, I had a friend who came to me and asked for help. She had had a lesbian lifestyle in her past, had gotten married, was trying to live for the Lord, and she had not been engaging in homosexuality, but she continued to struggle with sexual fantasies in her mind. We began to work through some of this together, and I began to provide accountability for her. And I remember one day, we went to the gym and worked out together, and we left, and we were standing in the parking lot, and she told me about what was going on in her mind that week. And I said something to her that I didn't think a whole lot of at the point, but she came back to me months later, and she said, the turning point for me was when you said that to me in the parking lot. And what I simply said to her is that every time you choose to give in to that sexual temptation, you are choosing to love yourself more than you love God. She was shocked by that because in our minds, we justify and we say, oh, I love God. I'm just having a struggle here. And the reality is that in that moment, you are loving yourself and pursuing your own sexual gratification more than you are loving God. You know, when when we choose to do that, we need to go back to the gospel. We We need to go back because we're suffering from our and our spiritual amnesia that we talked about earlier. We need to think about the idea of costly grace. Have you heard those two words used together? Costly is the idea that when I actually grasp the price that Jesus paid, it helps me to find sin repugnant. And then the idea of grace, affirming God's unchanging love for me even when I struggle even when I fail. So can I just plead with you to get help? Go to someone you love and respect. Tell them your problem. Do a study together. There are so many resources. Set up accountability. A few things you could do on your own. Read the gospel story in the Bible repeatedly. Read the Gospel Meditations series, if you're familiar with that. Meditations from the Cross, Meditations for Women, all of those. Read Elise Fitzpatrick's Comforts from the Cross and Comforts from Romans. I don't totally embrace everything that she has written in the past few years, but those books are treasures. It's a simple daily devotional, a small book. It gives you a reading for the day that has such depth about the gospel and what Christ has done for you. And God can really use that. Again, that's Comforts from the Cross and Comforts from Romans by Elise Fitzpatrick. And then listen to messages that saturate your mind in the gospel. What do you do while you do the laundry and do dishes and cook dinner? A lot of times we turn on our favorite podcast, right? And there's a time for that. There's a place for that. But turn on some messages. Get sermon audio on your phone and look up some great John MacArthur messages or whoever you like and listen to messages on the gospel. Get your mind going that direction. Please get help. Don't hide your struggle. But in this next 
half hour, 45 minutes we have together, we're going to turn our focus from our own struggle that's potential here to a struggle that we may encounter in the lives of our husband, the lives of our brothers, the lives of our sons. I want to try to give us help with how to respond to that. Perhaps you struggle, perhaps you've encountered this yourself. This struggle will touch most of our lives. We don't like that thought, but the reality is that it will touch most of our lives through a family member or through a close friend. And I hope that this will encourage you and help equip you for how to work through that, how to think through that. This has come out of my own personally having to respond to it, as well as trying to help other women. And perhaps you're sitting here and you haven't encountered that. Perhaps this will equip you to help someone else. That's our goal. How do we think about this? How do we work through this? First, may I say that God designed guys with a strong, sensitive, highly functioning eye gate. You know that, right? Samson looked and desired and said to his parents, go get her for me. David looked and desired and sent for Bathsheba. This is God's de design. This is not a wicked part of men. You know, we say they're just animals. God made them this way on purpose to attract them to a wife. That's a good thing. However, it has been misused. It has been abused, this eye gate. And today, probably more than ever, it's a problem because it is so accessible and because there's a growing tolerance in our culture for this type of activity. 25 to 30 years ago, a man who, who wanted to look at pornography, he had to work at it a little bit. He had to go to those adult bookstores you see along the interstate. He had to go to the magazine rack and get something secretly that he could look at. And now where is it? It's right here. It is a secret sin, which makes it so much easier for them and for us. The Barna group study that I mentioned a few minutes ago revealed that 76%, three out of four, 18 to 24-year-olds seek out porn. Three out of four of our husbands, sons, brothers, fathers seek out porn. 64% of self-identifying Christian men view pornography at least once a month. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? And because it's so prevalent, you and I as women, we need to determine a biblical response. What are you going to do when you find out that your husband, your son, has been, has been engaging in this? You see it on the computer history. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? First, let's talk about what is a natural response to this. I want some input from you. If this has happened to you or if you can imagine this happening to you, you find out that your husband, let's use that example, has been looking at pornography. 
How would you feel? Pardon? Shock and anger. How else would you feel? Betrayed? Jealous? Not adequate? Sad? Mad? Shame? Disgust? Upset? Offended? Degraded? Good one. We don't have any trouble coming up with these adjectives, do we? Because we can imagine how personally we would take that or have taken that struggle. We might be betrayed and think, how could he do that? Finish the sentence. To me. We're hurt. We're devastated. And we may have intense anger. You know, a lot of times I think we enter marriage with naivety. We know that that's out there. And we know that men struggle with that. But we think, he's going to marry me and I'm going to fulfill his every sexual desire. And he's never going to struggle. Can I, can I say to you that that is naive? Don't think that regardless of how beautiful you are. When... When we have this naivety as a girlfriend, as a fiancé, as a wife, even as a mother, we can take this sin very personally. And we feel like they are sinning against us. And we become the victim in this sin in our minds. And so the natural response is, first of all, a response that is self-focused. It becomes all about me. How dare he do that to me? And the second problem with that response, with that natural response, is that it categorizes sin. What do I mean by that? If I realize that my husband has been looking at pornography, I may lash out at him. I may make threats. I may run my mouth. I may withdraw from him sexually, emotionally, physically. And I am sinning in response to him. But in my mind, it's okay because the sin he did was bigger. Much more bigger. Right? I am categorizing sin in that response. Is that biblical? I'd like to read Galatians 5, 19. And I just want to point out in Galatians 5, starting in verse 19, and also in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, we find two lists of works of the flesh. Two lists of sin. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11... No, I'm sorry, Galatians 5. That's where I told you to go, right? Galatians 5, 19. We find this list. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. We have the, quote, big sexual sins listed. Then you keep reading. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissension, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Okay, this passage has started out with what we consider the big sexual sins. It has gone on to include in the same list of works of the flesh, selfish ambition, envy, covetousness, outburst of wrath, yelling at my kids. 
And my point here is that God does not categorize the works of the flesh. Sin is sin. And when I allow myself to categorize the sin, I become condescending towards this man. Spiritually condescending. I I am self-righteous because I haven't done the big moral sexual sin. And in, in my pride, I feel that I am better than he is. And I have categorized sin. And while it's true that there are different effects of sin, there are different consequences, sin is sin. So that is a natural response on my part. Thirdly, this natural response misidentifies the enemy. When I respond naturally, when I become the victim, when I am offended by what he did, and I feel like the victim... Who is my enemy? He is. My reaction is against him. He is the enemy because he has wounded me. So we have these these three natural responses. Now let's turn and look at a a contrasting list of what is a supernatural response. Those responses aren't biblical. So what would a biblical response be? I'm calling it a supernatural response because in and of myself, I can't do what I'm about to tell you. It's not natural. It is only through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, His enabling power, that I'm able to respond this way. So first of all, I need to see beyond myself. As long as I think this sin is about me and towards me and against me, I will respond in the wrong way. When I park in the parking space of thoughts like, how could he do this to me? How dare he? I will respond in the flesh, in the natural way. So the first biblical response is a response that views this struggle as spiritual warfare. We are in spiritual warfare, and Satan is trying to destroy your marriage and your family through this attack. Ephesians 6.12 tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not in battle against that person struggling in sin. But we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What does 1 Peter 5, 8 say? Be sober, be be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. What is Satan at work doing right now? He is praying And he is looking for a way to destroy Christian homes, Christian families, Christian marriages, and the body of Christ. We are in spiritual warfare. And that is how Satan is attacking your man, your boys. This is not something that your husband sat one day and thought, I think I'll do this to hurt her. That's not what happened. And often there is an Achilles heel. And by that I mean that some of our husbands, some of our sons have been exposed to pornography or sexual 
experiences at a very young age. The Barna study I keep referring to in 2013 said that the average age of the first exposure to pornography for a boy was age 12. In 2016, the study shows it is now age 11. So, so some of your boys and your men, even unintentionally, were exposed to pornography. They were exposed to a sexual experience when they were 10, 11, 12 years old. And if that was not dealt with, which often it's not because no one knows about it, that becomes the Achilles heel where Satan has the opportunity to keep growing, to keep building on that familiarity, that familiarity with sexual things that should not have happened but did. And so then this man, this boy grows and it continues and it grows stronger and stronger until he is addicted. And that has been a work of Satan from the time he was a child. That is now destroying potentially your marriage and your home. My husband has tried to help me understand the addiction to pornography. And his experience with dealing with men in our church, men in our family. And he says to me, honey, it is like an addiction in that... When you are used to seeing it and you go without it, you literally break out in a cold sweat, just like when you need a drug fix. And I'm like, what? So Satan gets a foothold and is attacking them to destroy them. When I understand that, what happens to my poor me perspective? It grows a little bit. Right? I, I begin to be able to respond a little bit differently. Secondly, the second part of a supernatural response is that I need an honest perspective about my own sin. I need a response that recognizes my own heart condition. This is in contrast to the natural response of categorizing sin. Remember the passages we, the passage we looked at where God lists the works of the flesh, I have circled in that list my sin struggles. I'm right there in that list. And when I'm aware of that, it changes my reactions and my responses to this type of struggle. I was talking to um, a young lady who was engaged to be married and it came out that her fiancé was actually addicted to pornography, and she never knew. They were in our church, and they came to us for help. My husband began to work with him, and I began to work with her. And I, I first of all, said, don't marry him yet. <laughs> let him work through this. Let him have victory, and then figure that out. But I also said to her, what is the sin in your life that you need his grace in? And she said, well, um, I am controlling, I'm proud. And I said, and so when that, does that ever come out in your relationship with him? Well, yeah. And how do you need him to respond? 
And she expressed how, you know, I need him to understand that God is sanctifying me. This is part of the process. This is my sin struggle. And I, I just need his grace and understanding and support and help. And I was able to say, and what is his sin struggle? And what does he need from you? It's a two-way street. And if I'm not categorizing sin, these are the big ones, these are the little ones, I can see that. And I can respond differently. I need to focus on my own sin. When I'm aware of my own stinking sin, I don't get mad at you for yours. Because we all have our messes. We all have our areas in which God is at work. And it changes my response to everyone's sin, including this one that we're talking about. Psalm 139.23, familiar verse, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, see if there be any wicked way in me. Keep my focus on my own heart and my own sin. So a supernatural response views this as spiritual warfare. A supernatural response recognizes my own heart condition. And thirdly, a supernatural response is one that determines to be a completer. And this, this replaces the misidentifying the enemy. He is not the enemy, your husband, your son, your brother. He is not the enemy. He actually needs help and support and encouragement. And as wives, we are designed, according to Genesis 2, to be their suitable helper, their completer. In the first workshop yesterday that some of you attended about relationships, I talked about how we like to choose how we're going to complete, right? How we're going to serve. And this would not be on my list. But completing and helping my man is completing and helping him in whatever area he needs. Right? There aren't limitations on that. In that same session, we talked about 1 Thessalonians 5.14. The verse that says, now we exhort you, brethren, and it gives us multiple instructions about our relationships within the body of Christ. Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted, the discouraged. Support the weak, be patient to all men. And that third phrase, support the weak. The word weak there is a word that particularly is speaking of moral weakness. So there is an instruction for me about how to complete a husband or a son who is weak in this area. I am to do what? I am to support him. I am to try to hold him up. What are some practical steps? I have these on the back of your handout, I think. First of all, wake up. Recognize and accept the reality of the struggle. Don't live in naivety and think that this isn't happening with your boys and your men. Wake up. Secondly, Free him up. Can, can I go back to the first one? I don't mean just accept it and justify it and overlook it. Okay? I just mean acknowledge the reality of it. It's a real thing. And we'll come back to that. Secondly, free him up. Don't contribute to the struggle. If you're dating, if you're engaged, don't be sending or posting sexual pictures. Duh. You are feeding 
this tendency that all men have. You are doing what the Bible calls defrauding. You are lighting a fire that you cannot righteously quench. Guard how you dress. Be careful of this. Sometimes for young women, we just want to look, you just want to look good, nice, in style. And you don't really think of, is this defrauding? Is this causing a man to think things that I don't want to cause him to think? What I'm not saying here is that it's your fault if he sins. I'm not saying it's your fault and you're responsible, but I do believe that we contribute to the struggle. If you have a godly dad, you have a godly husband, you want to guard against causing a problem for other people, go to your dad, go to your husband and say, is this okay? When I had teenage girls, I'd take them shopping and they would put on something cutesy and say, how about this mom? And they'd be like, hmm. I think we're going to have to have a fashion show for dad when we get home. Because I needed dad to say, eh, or dad to say, I think that's okay. Our minds don't work like theirs. Have you figured that out? So free him up. Be considerate. If you're married, be considerate about where you ask him to go. For some men, walking the mall is not a good plan. There's too many window shopping opportunities. So be considerate of those struggles. Next, lift him up. Pray for his purity. Some of you have my pray for him booklet for pastor ministry husbands. And there's a page in there on this. There are verses about praying for the purity of young men and men. Pray specifically for them. I have a prayer. I've tried prayer journals and I get lost in prayer journals, you know. I have a prayer card system. And I have, it's color-coded to where I have one color, and those are the cards I try to pray through every day. Then I have another color, and that's just like weekly. And I, I get through what I can. I put those in the back and come back. But on my daily, in my daily section, I have multiple cards for ev all of my men. And I have these verses about purity written out to pray for them. Because none of our men are beyond this. Next, if you're married, fill him up. God made him attracted by sight, and you were chosen by him for his eyes. And you know what happens? After a baby or two and 20, 30 pounds, we start doing the swimsuit locker room change, you know? We're able to get on our nightgown without exposing any flesh. Baby, I've got stretch marks. I had four babies in five and a half years, and they ain't pretty. But you know what? I am the body God gave him to look at. So here you go. <laughs> I'm going to do the best I can with it. I'm going to try to take care of it. I'm going to try to not let it fall apart. But I'm not going to dress in the closet. And it's, it's a blessing that as my body ages, his eyesight ages. It works out really well. <laughs> Thank you.
A lady who I have greatly admired is Beneth Jones, Dr. Bob Jones III's wife. And I took a class from her called Minister's Wife. And I remember her doing a lesson on looking good for your man. And she basically told us to budget money to buy negligees. And I was like, awesome, that's cool. But she made a statement that has stuck with me. As married women, your husband did not leave his eyes at the altar. How did you try to look while you were dating him? Yeah, well, tried to look good. And then once you got him, kind of went to pot, right? He comes home from work and you're in the sweatpants and the t-shirt and your hair's on top of your head and you haven't looked in the mirror all day. I had a friend, we were talking about this, and I was kind of poo-pooing all that. I mean, you know, I had little kids and I was just surviving. And she said, Faith, I challenge you. Ten minutes before he comes home, comb your hair, touch up your makeup, and see what happens. I'm like, whatever. I tried it. The turkey walked in and said, whoa. <laughs> Next. Hold him up. And by that, I mean offer support and encouragement. I personally believe that it's probably not best for the wife to be the accountability partner if a man struggles in this. It's probably best for there to be another godly man with whom he talks about his day-to-day -day struggles because that would be very difficult for you to handle. However, I do think that we need to free our men to admit the struggle there are so many men who wouldn't dare tell you they struggle with this because they know how you would react. They think that you have no idea and that if you knew, you would be ballistic. And they're probably right. And I often suggest, especially to younger wives, I would encourage you to just bring this up. Say, hey, we had this session on this and it just helped me understand that this struggle is really big. And I just want you to know that I'm praying for you for your purity. What are you doing by saying something simple like that? You're just, you're allowing him the room to say, thanks, I do struggle. You're freeing him and that gives him support. Ask him, how can you pray specifically? My husband has had me set up covenant eyes for him and, and when our sons were in our home for them. I now have that with some girlfriends and I get a weekly report more information than I care to know. But the idea is that I get an email that says, so-and-so's internet viewing looks fine. Or so-and-so's inter internet viewing needs attention. And they, the fact that they know that wife and mom is going to get this email is a deterrent. It's a help. And that's a good resource for someone, at least, to have with your men. Encourage safeguards and accountability. Covenant eyes, uh, there are others like that. When our kids were growing up, um, we tried to protect them by, there was a password to the internet. It was before everybody had their own phone and everybody had their own laptop, right? And the girls knew half of the password and the boys knew half of the password. So what did that mean? That meant that for a boy to look at something on the internet, the girl had to be in the room. That was just a, a simple thing. Tips like that that you can do to help offer support and encouragement. Communicate. My sister is Wonder Woman. She has nine kids. 
She had two children. When she was 23 years old, her husband was killed. Five years later, she remarried, and she had seven children in the next nine years. Let's all just say, wow. <laughs> we could talk about her for a long time. She actually had nine cesareans. She ruptured on the last one. They pronounced her dead twice and keep, kept resuscitating her, and she lived. But anyway, she set up a system with her boys called Snake Alert. So they're walking through the grocery store, and they're going down the lane, and some scantily clad little thing is coming this way. And she would say, Snake Alert. And they knew that meant, look at the floor, look at the ceiling, don't look ahead. So there are just practical things like that. But you know, you know what's, what's beneath this, what's at the foundation, is communication. You moms, make this an okay subject for your sons to talk to you about. We started this when our boys were very young. And I remember our oldest son, Layton, coming to me when he was about 10. And he said, Mom. And I said, what, honey? And he said, I, I only got the Sunday paper. Because I wanted all the coupons and ads. Now I just use my phone. But then I would get that hunkin' paper on Sunday. And you know what's always in there? Everybody feels the need to put their underwear ads on the front page of those. And my son came to me and he said, Mom, the Sunday ads are a temptation for me. Did I have a heart attack? No. I was like, thank you for telling me, honey. I will take those out every Sunday when the paper comes. And it was a way that I could help him, but I had established, my husband had established open communication with them, and it was okay to say, I'm tempted. My husband would sit down with the boys and say, where are you struggling? How are you struggling? I remember our younger son saying, that billboard on 385 at exit such and such. <laughs> okay. But having communication, you're acknowledging the reality of the struggle. That's freeing for them. That's encouraging for them to have that. And then realize something as a part of holding them up, that it's not a one-time struggle. Let's say that your husband acknowledges, I, I have struggled with pornography. Let's say he goes through counseling. And you're like, done with that. What's probably going to happen is in about three months, He's going to slip up, and he's going to do it again. That's the nature of the beast. That's the nature of addiction. Whether it's alcohol or drugs, somebody can do really well for about three months, and then they typically crash. And if you don't realize that, and you don't understand that sin is an ongoing struggle, then you're going to lose it when that happens, and you're going to give up. I was counseling a wife. Her name was Shannon. <clears throat> And this, this came out. She forgave her husband. My husband counseled him. I counseled her. And about three months later, he messed up. She was done. She went upstairs in their house. She opened the windows. She threw all of his clothes out the window in the front lawn. She was really fun to work with. <laughs> but the problem there was that she had a mentality that if he confessed it and he really meant it, then we're not going to deal with this anymore. That's not how it works. If he confessed it and he's getting help, it is probably going to be an, an ongoing struggle until his testosterone levels change. Maybe. 
Will you be willing to be on his side? Will you view this as spiritual warfare? This is not about me. This is not him offending me. We don't understand this, but men can compartmentalize this. They can be completely satisfied and enamored with your body. They can love you dearly. This is a different animal. This is like an escape for them from stress, pressure. And it honestly does not mean they don't love you. There's a foothold there that they are wrestling with. They are probably disgusted with themselves. Now through this, I am more referring to the man or the boy who wants help. Okay, I'm not saying if someone persists in this, whether it's infidelity or pornography, that you just keep on, keep on, keep on. You might need counsel of how to deal with that. But I'm talking about when someone is responsive to confrontation and wants to grow. This is our role. Can I close with this idea? I like to picture the Christian life in, let's take marriage, as two people walking side by side on the road to glory. Have you ever hiked side by side with somebody on kind of a narrow trail? It can be really warm and cozy and fun, but what probably happens at different bends in the road or when there's a root or a rock? Someone might trip. They might catch their shoe on the rock or the root and they start to fall. And because you're walking closely beside them, as they fall, you feel it. They kick you in the shin. They hit you in the thigh. So imagine this picture. You're on this trail, this, this road of life, and you're walking side by side, and your husband trips over something, and on his way down, he hits your shin. The natural response is, what are you doing? What in the world? I'm going to have a bruise here. Who am I focused on? This is the natural response. I am feeling my personal pain and I'm oblivious to this guy laid out on the trail. <laughs> the supernatural response is what Ecclesiastes talks about, that when that happens, what do I do? Yeah, my shin's hurting. Yeah, I'm going to have a bruise, but there's something bigger going on here. And I'm going to try to lift him up. I'm going to try to help him and walk beside him on the road to glory. And we're going to hurt each other along the way. And this is one way that you may be hurt and one way that he needs help. When I, I've had a wife say to me, I cannot forgive that. Sometimes they say that when there's infidelity. Sometimes they say that when it's a pornography struggle because in their minds, they can't stop picturing it. And they say, I can't forgive that. Turn with me in closing to 2 Peter 1. In 2 Peter 1, you have the familiar passage that is telling us about spiritual growth. It's talking about adding virtue to our faith. Verse 5 tells us, give all diligence and add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love.
So part of my growth is that I am to be adding and growing in my love towards other people. If I look down at verse 9, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. If I, if I am not willing to forgive, that's a lack of love. And if I am not growing in my love and in my demonstration of forgiveness, this passage tells me I've got spiritual amnesia. I have forgotten my own desperate, sinful state. I have forgotten what God has forgiven and continues to forgive me for. And I need to be reminded once again of the gospel that forgives me for my sin, forgives him for his sin. And that enables me to have a supernatural response to realize this is not about me, this is spiritual warfare. To realize that I'm a sinner just like he is and not categorize sin. And to come alongside and help him and be willing to lift him up. Don't let sin alienate your relationships. Allow them to push you together. Work through them together. Be on the same side. Remember that it's not about you. Let's pray. Lord, most of us will have our lives touched by this struggle. It's so prevalent, so accessible. And Lord, it's so easy for us to take this very personally and to continue a life of, of wound and self-pity. Help us, Lord, to choose a supernatural response to recognize what Satan's trying to do. To not categorize our sin, but to extend grace, love, and forgiveness. And to help and support our loved ones through this struggle. In your name we pray. Amen.